This morning is the fourth in a brief summer series on embracing your season of life. God has ordered your life and he has set all of the days before you. The psalmist says that all of the days of your life are written in God's book before one of them comes into being. That's how precious you are to him. God orders our steps and our ways. And we reflected on the fact that as scripture reveals that God is the one who hung the stars in the sky, the sun and the moon, set the world a spinning, that he's the one that ordered the seasons as well. And as we see the orderly change of the seasons, that gradual progression, it should remind us of God's care and his watch care over the world. And that includes you and I. Over the past few weeks, we've looked at the spring of life as we are young and things are beginning. We have looked at the, the, the busy days of summer, the prime time of our lives. And then we reflected last week on, on fall work, that, that important work that we do later in life as uh, the things that uh, we sowed early in life come to pass. We begin to harvest socially and spiritually things that have happened earlier in our lives. Reflecting on this, I came across a reading this week that fell right in line with it. I said, I wish I'd found this weeks ago as I began to prepare for this series. And it was a quote from author Henry Blackaby. Many of you have taken his study, Experiencing God. Uh, Henry Blackaby, we know him as uh, one of the leaders in the Southern Baptist denomination, uh, though it's good to remember that he's a Canadian. He was born in British Columbia, and his most significant ministry was church planting that God blessed explosive growth in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. So he's one of our folks. Henry Blackaby says this about the seasons of life. Just as God planned the seasons in nature... He plans the seasons in our lives. Life has its spring as we start new things and look to the future with excitement. Summer comes and we work diligently in the heat of the day to fulfill all of God's commands to us. With autumn comes the realization of what we started earlier in life. Winter brings an end to a particular time in our lives. Sometimes winter brings hardships, but we remain hopeful because spring is just around the corner. What a wonderful way to put it. The only thing I would differ from Dr. Blackaby is that winter, it's not another spring because that implies that we're going to be starting all over again from scratch. What lies following the winter of our lives in this world is something far greater than any spring that any human has ever experienced. What lies ahead is glory and heaven and home. Scripture tells us that in comparison, the light and momentary things of this world fade away in comparison to the glory that lies ahead of God's people. It's important for us to realize that that is an intrinsic part of the winter season for believers. I have a picture, as I do each week, of a season. It's, it speaks of the beauty of each season. They all have their own particular beauty. The blossoms on the trees in spring are a hint and promise of the fruit that will come. If you lose your blossoms, you lose your fruit. If frost gets them or whatever... There's not going to be any fruit. But that beautiful 
smell in the early morning when you walk among the trees and they're in blossom. That's a beauty that only spring has. Or summer. Oh, the dark green leaves of summer. And as they grow into autumn, the the green of the leaves, they become a little dusty because hint of autumn is just around the corner. But oh, the golden sunshine of summer. What a beautiful season it is to share together. It's when we like to be outside and we enjoy the season as it comes. And as we spoke last week, the color of fall as chlorophyll is withdrawn from the leaves and we see the underlying brilliant colors of red and gold and and it's just a beautiful time the air turns cool the heat goes away and you can start to wear a sweater and have outdoor campfires and make s'mores around the campfire and oh autumn's a beautiful time of year it has a special beauty that is here and gone so quickly too quickly and then winter Those who are listening to this message, perhaps in a warmer climate further south, they won't understand winter the same way. It won't mean the same thing that winter means to Canadians. Winter is the queen of seasons in Canada. There's no season that expands its borders to take up more time than winter does in Canada. It's also a season that needs preparation like no other season. When you imagine that just a few short years ago, those who lived on the prairies, whether they be the native people that lived here before Europeans came, or whether they be the homesteaders, your whole year you were working in order that you would survive winter. I was reminded of that type of lifestyle a number of years ago. I was in uh, southern Russia, right near the border with Ukraine, where that terrible, unnecessary war is happening today. I was with a group of Russian believers, and they had done something extraordinary. They were known in those communities because Russia's number one social ill was drug and alcohol abuse. It was just rampant in the society. And Christians especially believers, evangelical Christians, following the fall of communism, had found a special niche in society. They were the ones that provided drug and alcohol rehabilitation in a way that far exceeded anything hospitals or government could provide. Usually, uh, when anybody goes to rehab, there's a recidivism rate. That means a relapse rate that is between 80 and 90%, sometimes higher. It's very ineffective rehabilitation. But the way the Christians in Russia did it, those statistics were flipped upside down on their head. Their success rate was between 80 and 90%. What did they do so differently? Well, first, they not only treated the body and the addiction physically and emotionally and mentally, all of those effects from the addiction, but they also treated the inner problem, a spiritual emptiness. They led people to Christ in large numbers, and they liked to take people out of their setting for their rehabilitation, and that's where I was visiting. They had, at very cheap cost to themselves because it was just wasteland. They had bought land from the Russian government. It was a former army base, a small base in the midst of apple orchards. And these apple orchards were old and overran and the army buildings were completely dilapidated. They'd fallen down. They had metal roofs that were mostly missing. But the Christians came in and they built 
a little village there, and they called it Nazareth. <laughs> and the people would come in from, their, from the cities with their addictions, and they would live in this little village, and they would rise at five in the morning for prayer and Bible study and then breakfast and then exercise, and then the rest of the day was hard work. And then the evening was church and more worship and then early to bed. And well, why did they work so hard through the day? All day they cut wood, they gathered apples, and they stacked it up because they had no electricity, just a few generators for the church in the evening. If they didn't do the work to cut down the wood and prepare the firewood, they would run short during the long, cold Russian winter and they could even perish. And it reminded me how we used to all live that way. But now with modern society and technology, we're kind of insulated from winter. It's just an annoyance. It's just a little bit of trouble. It's just you dress a little differently or your, your outdoor activities shift from the golf course to the ski hill. It's not like it used to be. Winter, as beautiful as it is, is, those short winter days hide a season with sharp teeth. The first point as I look into Scripture, Scripture speaking of the season of winter in human life reminds us that just as nature is difficult in winter, we don't realize how many of the animals during a harsh winter here in Canada perish. I once read these statistics of how many, if the deer population reaches a certain point, a large percentage of that population does not survive the winter. In fact, winter plays an important role with the animals because the weak perish in winter and the strongest survive. The animals who work so hard, many of them have to hibernate or do their best. Those who have wings get away from it altogether and fly. But when it comes to the season of life, there is no escaping the winter season. Scripture says that physically, the winter season of life is a season of advanced years and loss. When you're young in spring and early summer, it's all about gaining. Oh, I remember being young and looking forward to the next big milestone, whether it was, whether it was going to high school or whether it was getting a driver's license or whether it was graduating, getting independence, going to college, girlfriend, spouse, children, new car, all of these things. You're always getting something new or learning a new skill or you're advancing a new job, a new promotion. But as our bodies age, we begin to lose and give back hearing, eyesight, mobility, strength, independence. It seems as the years go by that we experience one loss after another and some of the hardest ones to bear are the loss of loved ones, those who journeyed with us through the seasons of life, and we've had to say goodbye to them during the winter years of our lives. We lose a lot. And Scripture is honest about that. In fact, the book of wisdom, Ecclesiastes, the great book of wisdom of the preacher, who tells us that focusing on this world apart from God, it's all vanity. He concludes the book just as we began this series in reading the fact that he says, for everything there is a season, a time to be born, a time to die. He concludes the book of Ecclesiastes with a poetic but powerful description of the winter years of our lives. 
when our bodies betray us, the weight of the years is too heavy and we lose things. In this poem, the preacher writes, your body and your life is portrayed as a house, a house who the the windows are dark and the doors don't work and it's all falling apart. Just as Connie said, her mom's house is kind of falling apart. Listen to this. When it talks about the grinders, a busy household where the women once grind the grain daily to make the bread, well, of course, in your body, the grinders are the teeth. Imagine living in the times of the Bible where there were no dentures, were no eyeglasses, were no hearing aids. Those things that help us through the winter years of our lives, those were unknown at this time. A cold, hard season. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the preacher writes, beginning in verse 1, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark, and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few, and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when men rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint, when men are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags himself along and desire no longer is stirred, then man goes to his eternal home, and mourners go about the streets. You can't get a more honest picture of the weight of the years and the struggles of the winter time. The body fails. Scripture's clear on that. That's part of your mortality. It's a guarantee. But in knowing Christ and having spiritual life within the faith that you have experienced and God's faithfulness that you have experienced in the earlier seasons of life, those are what matter and that's what holds you in good stead during those winter months. One of the great English authors, a Christian author who was like a mentor to men like C.S. Lewis and others, was the great Scots author. His name was George MacDonald. He was a pastor, he was a poet, he was an author. And he talked about those winter years and the body failing and he said this. He says, age is not all decay. It is the ripening, the swelling of the fresh life within. That withers and bursts the husk. <laughs> I love that description. He says, you are like a seed in this world. Oh, that seed, it looks fresh and young and you plant it, but when it gives birth to something greater, the plant to come, the husk, the seed itself, it withers and breaks apart and is forgotten. So this physical body in which you have dwelt, it ages, and that's natural, and that's part of God's plan as well for the you that lives within. You grow into something far greater by the grace of God. Though it's a cold, hard season, there is an eagerness and excitement as we draw to the end of our journey because you know your destination to which you're traveling. You're heading home. 
And you know who's waiting for you when you get there. Not only the Lord Jesus who loves you and who died on the cross for you, but your brothers and sisters in Christ who have gone on before you, they're waiting there as well. And I find for our brothers and sisters who are in those winter years, and and don't get me wrong, I think for most of us in this day and age, winter is unlike physical winter, which is a long season. For most of us, winter is fairly short. Because with modern health care, we continue into our fall work right up to the end. You're praying, you're mentoring, and you're encouraging. You're still active doing the fall work of life, ensuring faith passes on to a new generation. The winter years are thankfully short for many people, as perhaps they're in medical care. And those things that even they used to do, they struggle to do any longer. And yet you know something important is at hand. The end of your journey in this life. And that doesn't cause fear and anxiety. It causes anticipation. We await something eagerly. The Apostle Paul, as he drew near to the end of his life, he wrote to a church in Philippi that he loved dearly. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, he reflects on that fact. Beginning in verse 20, he writes, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await from there a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. This husk, this old, tattered patched up tent in which your spirit lives will be made new and glorious by the power of Jesus. We eagerly await our redemption, going home to be with the Lord, being spiritually perfected, to be physically glorious. This is God's plan for you, and we look forward to it with great anticipation. G.K. Chesterton, another one of my favorite British authors, one of the great uh, British Catholic authors, wrote, Youth is the period in which a man can be hopeless. The end of every episode is the end of the world. But the power of hoping through everything, the knowledge that the soul survives its adventures, that great inspiration comes to the old aged. (laughs) Did you get that? When you're young, every setback in life seems like the end of the world. There's no hope. But for for the mature Christian, going through the fall of life and into the winter years, we've experienced our soul's adventures in life and have seen that God is faithful and has brought you through every hardship And He's never left you or forsaken you. And that inspires you to trust Him for what lies ahead. It's like the kids asking with anticipation, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Not yet, but soon. But you and I both know to get from here to there, there's that river to be crossed. 
The river Jordan is muddy and cold. It chills the body, but not the soul. Those are the words of the old spiritual. The last enemy, Scripture calls calls death. Paul in Corinthians says death is the last enemy for Jesus to conquer and put beneath his feet, but he will. It's the last enemy. And it's an enemy, though it's such a natural part of every life, it's an enemy because for you and I it was never God's plan. You were created to live. Death is the result of sin. Death separates the spirit from the body. Just as sin separates us from God. It's the outcome of sin. But Jesus drawing the power of sin away through His death, His his death in our place on the cross and His resurrection, that which the Apostle Paul calls, calls the sting of death. The sting is pulled out. It's taken away. The sin problem has been solved by our Savior Jesus. The last enemy has been conquered. There's nothing to fear. One of the reasons I was in Russia was to teach in our Bible school there. And for a number of years following the death of of Pastor Walter Kerber, who always taught the Old Testament study on the book of Isaiah, I was allowed to take over that study and follow in his footsteps. And in teaching that great prophetic book of Isaiah, one of the themes is the mountain of the Lord that great and glorious mountain. And it's always a symbol of God's presence and His power and His activity, the mountain of the Lord. But in Isaiah, there's a passage where the mountain of the Lord passage is also prophetic. It looks forward to the activity of God, but it's the specific action of Jesus on your behalf as He died on the cross and defeated sin and death. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 25, writes this prophetically of what Jesus would do, not on a mountain, but on a hill far away where stood an old rugged cross. On this mountain, He will destroy the shroud. This is the grave shroud. He will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. And he did. As Isaiah prophesied Jesus, he tore back the grave clothes. They went to the tomb and they were no longer used. They were empty. And that grave shroud that was over all mankind, we all lived our lives in the shadow of grave, in the shadow of death. Through faith in Christ and His death on our behalf, that has been taken away. It's been torn asunder. And as I mentioned, Jesus has drawn the sting out of death because that part that would separate you from God for eternity in hell was sin. But through salvation, your sin has been paid for. Through faith in Christ, what Jesus did on the cross counts 
for you. We're reminded of that in our unity with Christ, that unity which is symbolized through baptism, the immersion into Jesus. In the great baptismal theology, that chapter, Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul, reflecting on what Jesus did for us, says in verse 5 and following, If we have been united with Him like this in His death, that's through faith in Jesus, His death on the cross counts as your death, we certainly, we will certainly also be united with Him in His resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we will believe that we will also live with Him. You have been freed from sin. And when sin is taken out of the equation, what is left for the believer when we face physical death? Dr. John MacArthur at Grace Church down in Los Angeles, in one of his books, he said this about it. He said, where sin has been removed, death can only interrupt the earthly life and usher in the heavenly. That's all it does. It can't separate you from God. It can't separate you from others for eternity. All it can do is interrupt this earthly life. But for many of us, the longer the days of winter become as the body suffers, leaving this world is not a negative thing. It's that thing which we look forward to with joy as God calls us home eternally into His presence. It's a precious thing. And knowing this, if you've got a grip on this, the fear of death can no longer be part of your thinking. Perhaps it's something that's bothered you throughout your life. I once heard it said that we shouldn't pray for a pain-free death. And that got my attention because I've seen that many times as a pastor as I've been at the bedside of people in their last days, some of them going through great physical struggle and pain. Rather, we should pray for not pain-free, but a doubt-free death. Do you understand that? When you face death without doubt because your salvation is settled in Christ, that is a precious, precious thing. Then the last enemy has been overcome. Death is no longer our enemy. <laughs> it's a homecoming. And what's more precious in winter than coming home? Isn't it ironic and we appreciate it in Canada, that during the shortest, the shortest days of winter, the longest, darkest nights, we have Christmas. The bright lights of Christmas shine so beautifully because of the darkness of the night. And so it is with the winter of your life. In the midst of those dark days and physical failings, the light of life blazes out. Heaven beckons. More than once, being with believers on their deathbed, the veil between this world and heaven has become very thin. 
Believers have seen angelic beings. They've seen Jesus. They've heard heavenly music. They're almost home. Almost home. And the celebration that happens when we arrive home. It's not going home to heaven, which we fear. Life is the hard part. The getting there. That we need to support one another as believers and as family members to be with those as they carry the weight of years. Not put them away someplace, institutionalize them where they're out of sight and out of mind. But walk with them as they finish their work of autumn and they carry the burden of their winter years. Love them. Their presence is a gift to us. Their wisdom is a blessing and their faith an inspiration. Charles Spurgeon, speaking of Christian death, said this. He said, Never fear dying, beloved. Dying is the last but the least matter that a Christian has to be anxious about. Fear living. That is a hard battle to fight, a stern discipline to endure, a rough voyage to undergo. But eventually those stormy seas are behind us and we sail into the calm waters of our home harbor. Jesus calls us home. And it's Jesus himself. I point us to it often because it's Christ's promise for you. If you are not here alive when Jesus visibly returns and raptures you to be with him forever, he will come for you. He will return for you. Jesus, on the night of his own physical death, told those around him, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. Jesus wants you home with him. And he's promised to each one of his children. It won't be St. Peter. It won't be an angel or a loved one. You're too important to God. Jesus himself will take you by the hand and bring you home. Coming home, what a beautiful thing. Oh yes, this body, it breaks down. It wears out. It served its purpose. It's lived those beautiful days of the seasons of life. But in time, we need something better. And we close with that thought. The Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 says this, Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. 
now. It is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Today you live as a temple of the Holy Spirit. When you become a believer, God sets His Spirit within. You're not only an ambassador of Jesus Christ, your physical life, you're an embassy of heaven. (laughs) This is not the world's territory any longer. It's God's home. And as He has set His Spirit within, that is your guarantee that one day this old body will be redeemed, be made glorious, an eternal house with Him. Let's close our time in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for the seasons of life. And Lord, though the winter season has some cold, hard days, Lord, it also has a particular beauty. I ask, Father, that You would set eternity in the hearts of Your children, that we would long to be with You and long for Your appearing, for we know that the crown of life is our reward. Father, for those of our brothers and sisters who are experiencing the cold wind of winter in their lives, who have experienced loss and physical limitations, I pray, Father, that we would draw alongside and walk with them and learn from them and love them in these days as they rejoice that one day soon they'll be going home. Father, we know that that is a destination for each one of us. Give us wisdom in numbering our days, not only embracing but using the seasons of our life to bring you glory and to share the good news of the gospel. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.